Good Morning Sleepy Town. I'm Beau Bartlett, and you're listening to The Art House. Art House Radio, coming to you from WCUG at 9th and Broadway in the Carpenter's Building, across the tracks from beautiful downtown Columbus, Georgia. From Columbus State University. Ah, it's a beautiful morning. A beautiful weekend morning. We have a great show for you today, show Irokawa and I do. We have Natalia Tomeskin with us this morning on the Art House. Natalia, how are you doing this morning? I am doing great. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here. I love this show. Oh, thanks. Natalia is an award-winning writer, playwright, screenwriter, and an associate professor of creative writing at Columbus State University. So glad you're with us. We're going to have a fun conversation, and Natalia is going to pick out some music for us this morning. But first, we do have a word of the day. We have the word of the day today is gratitude. The quality of being thankful. Readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. Gratitude. And we have a quote of the day. Quote of the day is from Ella Fitzgerald. Just don't give up trying to do what you really want to do. Where there is love and inspiration, I don't think you can go wrong. Mm. Ella Fitzgerald. The purpose of art is to wake us up. And the purpose of Art House Radio is to wake us up gently. So wake up, y'all. Natalia, what you're going to start us off with some music this morning before yeah. we get into our conversation. What do you have lined up for us? A little gentle start here. This is Sula, the paperback version, which is her more acoustic version of the song, by Jamila Woods. Sula. Better, 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 better
got all this time to kill Something like a prayer to kneel to Lay on my pillow You think I'm so weak Soft as my skin is My powers discreet Sula by Jamila Woods. I'm Bo Bartlett, and you're listening to the Art House, Art House Radio, coming to you from 88.5 WCUG in Columbus, Georgia. We also can be heard on OM Radio 96.3 in Charleston, South Carolina. We have our guest today, our special guest, Natalia, Natalia Tomeskin. Hey, Bo. Hey, thanks for that. Thanks. What What a great piece of music. Thank you for that. Of course. I love that. Natalia is an award-winning writer, producer, and professor at Columbus State University. Well, I'm going to let you tell your story this morning. I want you to just tell me a little bit about how you got here. Where Where are you from? You're from Columbus, aren't you? I would say, yeah. Um, we moved here when I was eight. Okay. Tell so, me before eight, then, because that part I don't eight, know. Yeah, it's a fun... Well, uh, my parents met in New York City, okay. and that's where I was born, and... Um, my mom was a nurse. My dad was a resident. Um, and so he had a lot of school left to do, so to speak. You know, the, the whole medical process of becoming a doctor is extensive. And so when I was six and the oldest of four kids at that point, my parents are crazy. Um, we moved to Rochester, Minnesota because he had to study at the Mayo Clinic. And so I've lived there. I've lived in Phoenix, Arizona. He did a little stint there. Mm -hmm. That's where my, actually there were three of us when we moved. My baby sister was born in Phoenix in that six month period. And then back to Minnesota. And then they said, we're moving to Georgia and we won't be moving anymore. 
This was him starting his practice. And I was like, what is Georgia? I'm like, I don't even have a concept of what that is. And so we packed up the Toyota Previa. Oh my God, the fact that I remember the name of the car. (laughs) And I was so sad to say goodbye to friends. And then we just drove from Minnesota to Georgia. And that was um, summer before fourth grade. Mm -hmm. So since then, it's been home, you know. Um, It was really interesting growing up in a southern town with non-Southern parents, sort of lived in two worlds until we all became Columbusites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're glad you're here. You're yeah. one of the luminaries. You're one of our luminaries. Thank you. That's sweet of you to say. I'm so glad to be here. So where did you live in Columbus? And, and where did you go to school? And when did you know you wanted to maybe be a writer? That's a great question. I grew up in North Columbus. Um Went to school through middle school at Brookstone. Oh, I didn't know yes. that. My alma mater. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. In fact, I think I knew I wanted to work in theater that first year at Brookstone. Um, do you remember the American Girl dolls? Yes. Okay. So the black American Girl doll was Addie, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So one of the many things you can buy as an extension of just the doll itself was actually a play. (laughs) It was a play about her. Oh my gosh. And I got somehow a hold of that. And so recess in the fourth grade was me and whomever was willing to entertain my whims rehearsing this play for fun. And at Brookstone, they were so kind. They, they made the library available after a few weeks for us to perform it um, in front of the entire fourth grade. And I just was like, um, I, yeah. as I think about it now, my daughter is in the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. It's insane to me that I did that, mm-hmm. but it felt like naturally this is what I'm going to be doing with my free time. I mean, it's fun. And it was just, it, I, some people find their passion later over time, but I think I've always loved basically dramatic storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do, do you uh, write other things? I'm just curious. Do you write other things? I know you write uh, plays and mm-hmm. screenplays and uh, te- television series, mm-hmm. uh, but do you also write other things? You know, I wanted to be a poet. They're just a little bit too good and I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so I do have a lot of poetry from when I was younger and I actually write songs too, like pop music, like with my piano. Really? Mm-hmm. Just for fun. One day I'd love to um, integrate that into like a musical or something yeah. like that, but I haven't done that. Yeah. I'd love to hear some. Yeah. <laughs> we can play it on the well. radio. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get back to you. Okay, good. I look forward to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but novels or short stories or anything? No, I've had a lot of ideas and I think this is exactly what, <laughs> like I would never articulate that to a novelist <laughs> because people do that to me. You know, my parents will be like, oh, I have a movie idea for you. In fact, my mother did that to me the other day. She's like, I had a nightmare and I think it could be a movie. Wow. So everyone has ideas for movies, <laughs> but it's really hard to write scripts. Right. Similarly, I've had thoughts and ideas for novels or short stories. And I'll be like, God, that would be really good. But I wouldn't sit down to write it because I don't know how. It's a craft. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I really, not to say that I, I couldn't figure it out, but it is, it's so it seems easy to be an artist. I think people get these inklings and feel like, oh, I could do that. 
but it's actually worked. It's right. It's hard. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, do you feel like the dialogue aspect of, of what you do is primary to any kind of descriptive aspect that you might need to do or have to do in a novel? I'm just curious. That's a really cool question. I think so. I feel like when I started writing for theater, I was writing monologues. I was a monologue heavy writer mm -hmm. because I feel like I could hear people's voices. Mm -hmm. I can hear what people sound like. And when I'm around people and I'm not like talking a lot, I'm listening, not necessarily to what they're saying, <laughs> but to how they're saying it. Wow. The way people talk. Mm -hmm. Whereas with, I think what was hard about getting into TV writing and screenwriting is you actually do have to be very descriptive. Mm -hmm. And that was difficult for me at first because I'm like, I know what they're saying and I know who they are as characters, but I don't exactly know how to describe the the scene that the texture of the room that you're in or whatever. Like that was hard for me at first to become a visual storyteller. But for me, it does, it all begins and ends with voices. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm not a screenwriter. I'm not even a writer, writer, but um, I don't think that's true. No, I think so. Because when I, I the one feature film we did, Things Don't Stay Fixed yes. so, so far, I worked on it with Sandra Deer, the play, playwright from the Alliance Theater in Atlanta. And we worked on it for many years, like eight years. Yep. And I would uh, give her some idea of like the scene that I would like, I would have dreamt it or something. I'd say, I have an idea for a scene, you know, and, and I would tell her what it was, you know, like these guys out in a field looking at a light or something, you mm. know, a spotlight or something, whatever it was. And then um, she would write it. She'd write the scene. It was amazing collaboration. But every now and then I would propose some line that one of the actors said. And she would more or less slap my wrist. And she'd come be back like, to don't her, tell me that. Yeah, she'd go back to her typewriter and she'd say, Bo, you don't ever write the script. You don't ever write dialogue, ever. Because that's not your forte. That's not your lane. <laughs> I can see things, but I, the words, anyway, that makes perfect sense. So um, what I'm hearing a little bit, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, you sort of, you're just, the, the words of conversation and the way people talk just really is very natural for you in terms of like the way you hear it and the way you express it. Yes, I think that's right. And I can imitate people okay verbally, but I can definitely do it if I can write it down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really think in pictures, uh, do you think, do you think in pictures or words? Hmm. I think in pictures, but there's always a person. I don't think a, a in person. Like, I don't think in like your work. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I usually have characters, but to me, in mine, not always, but they serve purposes almost like metaphors. It's like the way that Spielbergian is Spielbergian, if that's a word. Mm -hmm. uh, Spielberg's characters are so they're not um, cardboard cutouts, but they are sort of generic in a way. Like there's the father, there's right. the mother, you know. Uh, and then there's depth Archetypal. within that. Archetypal, exactly. Yeah. And so my figures are sort of like that in a way. It's like mm. they're meant to represent something. Signifying something. Yeah. More So it's sort of almost symbolic as opposed to, um, I think, from what I've seen of yours, the characters are real human beings, you know, expressing oh and gosh. living real feelings. I mean, and that's not everybody's taste, but right. that is important to me. I love the idea that these are real people that I just haven't met, but I want to honor the real of them when I write. Right. Um, but some writers are more interested in the archetypal, symbolic type of stuff that you're talking about, mm -hmm. too. There's no one good way to do it. No, that's right. Um, so let's talk a little about specifics about things you've written and things you've sure. done. And um, how far back do you want to go to, to oh where God. you started to have some successes? Uh, <laughs> the first thing I was familiar with that you did was one for 
the Springer. I think. Uh-huh. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, that was my first commission as a playwright. Was that Ace the Eugene Bullard story was commissioned in 2016 by the Springer, and they were just like aware of the history of Eugene Bullard being a Columbus resident and then being the first black fighter pilot ever before World War II and the Tuskegee Airmen. Um, They just, you know, like you, sort of knew they wanted this and then they needed to find a partner. So I was very glad to be that person because that show taught me so much history. It made me feel prouder about being a Columbus resident and a citizen of this community to know that this is something that we can claim as ours. But at the same time, I loved that it that we were able to be honest about what was hard about being a black, ambitious young person in Columbus in, you know, 1905. Mm-hmm. And why this person felt he had no choice but to run away from home at 10 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, and the fact that we have actual characters in the show, W.C. Bradley, for example, being a place where Eugene Bullard's father worked, um, and uh, being able to reference places that we still see or even just know that this family walked up and down the same Broadway areas that, or Front Avenue or whatever. It just, they lived on Talbotton Road. Mm-hmm. Those little details just made it feel like living history, like it was really tangible yeah. while we were working on it. Was it historic fiction or I mean, how do you think of, how do you, what category does it fall into? Or was it just uh, based on facts that, you Well, know? the late Dr. Craig Lloyd, who was a history professor here at CSU, he did a really th- extensive biography of Eugene Bullard called Black Expatriate in Jazz Age Paris. That was my source text. So I felt really strongly that like he had done his research and I could feel good about it. But Eugene Bullard wrote his own um, autobiography as well, oh. which, you know, Did is a help? tall tale. It, it's it, a very tall tale. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he's French from birth in his own autobiography, which is highly disputable. Mm. Um, so, but it's interesting because it's just the personal narrative versus the fact of what happened, I thought was really neat. But so we it, didn't bring that much into the play. So at that time, maybe perhaps he thought that would make him more uh, acceptable in society. I think that could very well be because here he was writing that in the 50s and he had come back from Europe after being married to a white countess and having children with her and owning multiple businesses in Montmartre and all sorts of things. And then he has no leg to stand on when he moves back to the States because we're still unable to really there's no path for a black man to really achieve the kinds of things he had achieved so he was just an elevator operator so i'm sure when he was writing that there was a whole plea almost to the potential audience of see me as who i am Mm -hmm. after that play and the success of that play what uh what came next nothing directly came next but i did a little self um, production of a short, a series of short films. I worked with some local film, you know, folks that had experiences in film. Not, not, I wouldn't even use the word like it wasn't professional crew. <laughs> there were some CSU students. There was just, and so we, we filmed a series of shorts at um, Fountain City Coffee. Okay. That was meant to be my, I was going through a period as an artist of like, should I just kind of let go of, the dream that perhaps 
I could write for television or, or film or whatever because I was a mom, I was working full time. I already had a lot of things to be proud of as a writer going on, like Ace. And I felt like I was aging out of kind of a window of reaching for that. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to give it one more really thoughtful try. That's what that project was. Weirdly, that project took a long time to edit, like mm-hmm. two years. <laughs> yeah, so. hi, welcome to editing. <laughs> so we didn't even get a chance. But it it, it was right after that, that um, a pilot script that I had written based off of a play that no one has ever produced that I had also written ended up getting me my first TV writing job. So it wasn't directly related to Grounds was the name of that project. Mm-hmm. But I feel like internally it was like taking those steps and risking a little bit helped me open my mind to whatever else I might be able to do. That's such that step. That's so great. I mean, like for students or folks listening, you know, like just doing that next thing, mm-hmm. you know, that even in your uh, lane or as close to in your stream as you can, your your path, that it, it opens doors to other things. It does. I think it's so important for people to know and understand. Um, was it with the Georgia Film Academy that you worked with? Some of them were. Some of the crew was in Georgia Film Academy. Okay. Yep. So we had some students, but and CSU actually provided a grant to support yeah. it. But it was just really like a ragtag kind of yeah, grassroots yeah. group of folks. Where is that now? Does that project exist? It does. It exists on YouTube. Under- if you search grounds, Ars Nova, A-R-S-N-O-V-A, mm-hmm. you'll be able to find it. Okay. Grounds. Uh-huh. Okay. And with your name, maybe. Sure. <laughs> yeah. hurt Natalia Tomaskin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, great. And what lesson I'm thinking maybe it's a good time for a little music break and then we'll take a break and get us some coffee and you can do the same and we will uh, come back and have some more conversation with Natalia. Going strong But no matter how hard I tried Something went wrong I lied to keep our love The truth was too strong I cried when you decided to go I cried much more than you'll ever know My pride is my only company
You're listening to The Art House, coming to you from WCUG in Columbus, Georgia. I'm Bo Bartlett, and we're here with our guest, Natalia Tomeskin, writer, producer, and English professor. Yes. <laughs> what, what did we just hear? We heard a great, beautiful piece of music. What oh, was yes. that, Natalia? That was Ghost Song by Cecile McLaurin Salvant. And I only just discovered her, but wow, this album, which is also entitled Ghost Song, I would highly recommend. Great, thanks. Excellent. Thanks for bringing that to us this morning. We, we left off, you had um, somehow miraculously been discovered after from a play that you had written that had not been produced. Yep. Tell, tell us a little bit how, like, how did that miracle occur? Well, first of all, it was a miracle that I had not given up on that story mm-hmm. <laughs> after 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe it's the format that it's written in. Maybe it's not the story or the characters, but maybe it just shouldn't be a play. Mm-hmm. So then I kind of adapted it as though it were episode one of maybe, a, I don't know, 10 episode series and submitted it to a bunch of, um, you know, different contests and things like that. And it was placing and getting finalists or top 10 or whatever. And I just started to email people. I mean, talk about humble pie. It was like people that I went to Princeton with in undergrad or people mm-hmm. that I went to NYU with for grad school that have been doing these things i'm just like hey y'all remember me um this thing that i wrote is placing and contests do you think you might be willing to share this with your managers Mm -hmm. or i mean or do you have advice so often it was just like well my advice is that you need to move to la you know you Mm -hmm. live in georgia so i don't know what to tell you one person who was another babysitter we were both babysitters for the same faculty member when I was at NYU. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I knew this guy. But reached out, shared the work, and learned that he had been promoted to a co-showrunner role for Dear White People Season 4, and that they were in the process of reviewing writers to hire. And that is what turned into a job interview, which I remember taking over Zoom and being like, I'm not going to get this job, but this is so cool. I can't believe I'm having this meeting, you know? Fabulous. And then I got it. So, you know, it's not it's not a miracle. It is a perseverance. Sure. With, with a little bit of luck involved. That, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's such an important lesson. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about just that process about writing for... Uh, sure. Well, I mean, I was quickly um, made aware that Hollywood operates on its own schedule and doesn't care about you and your life. Mm-hmm. So I got the, we want to hire you and we'll see you in two weeks. And I was in the middle of finishing up the fall semester. It was probably like mm, around this time um, mm-hmm. in 2019. And so I went to my chair. I was like, hey, I guess I'm not going to be here. Um, you know, we worked some things out because Dr. Judy Livingston in the English department at CSU is amazing. And I looked up a sublet. My husband and I wrapped our minds around me being gone for 20 weeks. And with children. We, at that time, had a, I think Paul was not even three. Maybe he had just turned three and Ari was five. So I had a kindergartner or a first grader, I think, and like a preschool. Mm -hmm. And I still remember the first time that I had to leave because I was going to come back every few weeks, Mm -hmm. right, for the weekend. But I said goodbye to them in the morning on my way out. What a mistake. My son like screamed. I could hear him as I got into the Uber. I could still hear him 
So it was really hard, um, but it was amazing. I mean, work-wise, I was like, oh my God, this, this I could do forever. Yeah. And if y'all want to pay me to, forget about <laughs> it. So I just loved it because I love writing, but I do feel like it's hard to write alone sometimes. As much as you do feel like you want to be precious about an idea, <laughs> you're going to hit walls. <laughs> When you're writing on a television series, you're in a writer's room. So there's a whole group of people that you're helping each other over those hurdles all day long. You, what they call pitch ideas, and then other people build on it and say, oh, okay, so then if that happened, well, what if she did this then? And then we're like, oh yeah, that could be really cool. But let's think about it the other direction. So what if she did this instead? I mean, that's basically what work is. Just what if, what if, mm -hmm. until we start to feel a consensus around a structure. And then after we've all kind of decided on the shape of the season, we get assignments as far as, okay, you go write episode two, you write episode three, and then you bring it in and you kind of give each other feedback. But everyone knows what the story is mm -hmm. before you start writing because mm -hmm. you've come up with it as a group. Oh, you've come up with it as the group. Yes. There's like a leader, right? There's your showrunner who probably has a sense but essentially, all the details, all the nuances, the richness is collectively sourced. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. I mean, because, I mean, it, it has to do, I mean, your egos would all have to sort of like be in check. For oh, sure. yeah. And when it's not, you feel it. Right, right. <laughs> That's the thing I love about film in general and, you know, uh, is the collaborative aspects of it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it really and it's why I think uh, so many people, you know, people think like just laymen often think that all the Hollywood people, you know, like that they're, you know, egomaniacs or whatever. But in reality, like almost, almost everybody I've ever met that works in the business, uh, whether they're even from actors, you know, mm -hmm. every now and then directors. But, uh, you know, um, every, you know, everyone that's working, the writers, everybody, everyone that's working on the set and stage and everything are also, um, you know, it's a part about a collaborative effort. And it's really not a giant ego trip. It's about everybody working together. Absolutely. And, and they're really psychologically very healthy people. I think so. And I think those that aren't don't last that long mm -hmm. because you just can't, people are going to be tired of it mm -hmm. and they'll tell other people it was draining working with this person. Yeah. <laughs> and then that'll be the end of the story. Yeah. You yeah. know, you have to be a decent person to survive out there. And, you know, and God bless your husband, Pete, you yes. know, for being willing to, I mean, that's the thing. When you get an opportunity, you get a chance, you got it, you have to seize it because opportunities don't come around that often. So, you know, your courage to seize it is what has led to, you know, where you are and your husband's willingness to say, you know, I'm, I'm behind you, babe. You yeah. Know? And he really, I remember like yesterday where I was sitting when I heard that they wanted to interview me. We didn't even know anything about it. But in that moment, it was like, well, what if I did get it? What would we do? Instantly, Pete was like, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. knew how important it would be, how hard it would be. But I just, he's a dream supporter. Yeah. And that's what I like to be for him. And I think he might be a little bit better at it than I <laughs> But he's living out his dreams too. He is yeah. indeed. Actually, your husband has, uh, has become a judge, right? Yes. Can you tell us just a smidgen about that? Sure. He was appointed over the summer um, by the governor to be a state court judge in Muskogee County. So Judge Pete Temeskin. Love now. it. Not at home, though. <laughs> right, exactly. I called. I actually saw him the other night uh, at the center, and I, I, I called him Judge. He's like, no, I'm not here. I'm just myself here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
So let, let's just talk briefly about your other other projects. Now, uh, you you actually speaking of the center, you you uh, premiered one of the episodes of Julia at the center. Thank you for that. That was a treat. Thank yeah. you. I love your center. How did, um, how did you get into uh, Julia? So this was my second job, and um, it was an interview process. Similarly, you know, kind of, but it was post COVID. So this was the first time that I had the experience of being in a writer's room on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And that was a game changer for me because that meant I got to be home in Columbus, Georgia, working on a TV series. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, actually, I've been able to do all of my writing jobs through virtual means. Yeah. And so I've been able to take advantage of being home with my family and the place I love while doing the job. But Julia is, you know, based on the life of Julia Child at the particular moment where she's stepping out into her TV life. And this was uh, created by a former professor of mine. In fact, the same one who I used to babysit for. Hmm. So, of course, I was like, okay, clearly there's a coincidence going on. This, Mm -hmm. This whole thing is somehow based on the fact that people knew me and liked me. But what if I had to go out on my own? And Reasonable Doubt, which is the third project I worked on and, and is actually just finished airing. All of season one is on Hulu right now. But that was the first job where I knew nobody and just still was able to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was finally assured that <laughs> it, there wasn't some kind of nepotism. Exactly. Underwriting yeah. everything. Yeah. But, you know, it is FaceTime. It's who you know in so yeah. many circumstances. That, you know, like okay, so for example, the first time I ever got a gallery in New York, mm. like uh, this was 1988. You know, I'd been trying to get a gallery for three years, yeah. And I finally, and I'd been every week to a different gallery, and finally I did get a gallery. And um, it took me a little while, but a few years into it, I said, you know, like there are a lot of painters, and there are a lot of painters that are trying to get into the galleries and trying to get into your gallery. Like, why did you, like, you know, choose me to right. be in your gallery? And they said. Because you're nice and we figured it'd be easy to work with you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that yeah. and that's not nepotism. That's just the strength of your character. Right. Right. That's right. So it's a it's that. It's that. It's that's that. So tell us a little, if you can, about Reasonable Doubt and where that is now. Absolutely. So Reasonable Doubt is a soapy legal drama. It's on Hulu. And it was created by Ramla Mohammed, who was also my boss. This show is based on Sean Holly, who was one of the members of the legal team for O.J. Simpson. Mm. And she's still a criminal defense attorney. I don't know if you might happen to know a little bit about Megan the Stallion being shot in the foot by Tory Lanez. But yeah, I know. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but she defends Tory Lanez, for example. She defends these kind of celebrity types when they do bad things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Outside of that, the show doesn't really, it's not a biography by any means. It's a very sexy show. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a little bit of the fun of kind of her personal drama, this, this, this powerful black female attorney, you know, being a beast in the courtroom, but kind of being a mess in her personal life and needing to fix that up. Um, And so that's, that's the gist of the show. Um, Cool facts about working on that show though, is that, um, it was a black woman creator, but also it was one of the first projects of this production company called Onyx Collective, mm-hmm. which is an effort through ABC to intentionally create more black 
content on television. So this was like well, their first big scripted series. Mm -hmm. And um, they had an all black writer's room on purpose because they were looking for that sort of authenticity in the way that this woman's family and like friend group. And, mm -hmm. and that was just a cool experience as a writer because, you know, you don't realize that sometimes you translate or code switch things mm -hmm. until you realize that you're not having to do it. Yeah. And it's like fascinating. <laughs> was, was that quite a bit different from working on Julia? Oh yes. Quite a bit different. Yes. Um, on Julia in season one, there were, you know, Four women, two, two guys, so wonderful to be surrounded by women that are telling women's stories, right? But there were two women of color, two black women, myself and another writer, Ebony Booth. But for season two, in fact, I was the only black writer mm. in the room. And, and that's okay. You know, it, it's not inherently an issue. It's just different, right? You were also a producer, correct? On, in season yes. Two? Yes. I was a producer for season two. Um, are there black, is there one black character in Julia? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, just about. Well, yeah. <laughs> now, well, now she has a boyfriend. So there's, okay, okay. And he's black. <laughs> so there are two. <laughs> Beautiful show. It Beautiful is. Show. It's such a great show. I cannot wait for the second season. It should be um, sometime in the spring of 23. It should okay. be out. Do you want to go to another music selection? You brought, you brought a couple of pieces of favorite music. Do you want to uh, yes. cue something up here? Well, let's do Evil Eye um, by Bella because... Uh, it's all about keeping the negativity away, which is important to remember in Hollywood. <laughs> Every day, everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> Evil eye. Say a prayer for me. I'm surrounded by some people that need prayer, mommy. Tell them keep me from that evil eye. From that evil eye. My future's brighter Nobody with the lighter Ancestor Niger My calling's higher Fighter, survivor Look at what he's done, done, done Look at what I've overcome Wahala comes, man, I stress, no Child of God, I'm blessed, yo People, them, them wanna test me, But I don't feel no pressure One of a kind, I'm special Lives in me, residential Sometimes I forget though I still need you to pray for me, yeah Say a prayer for me I'm surrounded by some people that need prayer for me Tell them keep me from that evil eye From that evil eye The streets are colder than when I grew up Be praying on your down 
That was Evil Eye by Bella. You're listening to Art House Radio. I'm Natalia Tomeskin. And next we're going to listen to A Million Miles Away, a song from the movie Bell by Mamoru Hosoda. This particular song inspires me a lot. The movie is excellent, but I also love that in the course of the song, we hear the main singer, our protagonist, struggle to finish singing. And her audience helps her to remember the words and finish the song. And as a writer that needs my audience to stay motivated, it resonates deeply with me. This is A Million Miles Away.
Just like that, we've come to the end of another Art House, Art House Radio, coming to you from WCUG and Alm Radio in Charleston. That was the Abyssinians with Sata Masagana. Thank you, Natalia, for bringing that music to us this morning. We've had a nice conversation with Natalia Tomeskin, and I uh, just want to thank her for being here. Thank you, Natalia. Thank you, Bo. This is my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it more. <laughs> um, and we have Sho Irokawa. Thank you, Sho, for being our producer extraordinaire this morning. Of course. I want to thank WCUG for letting us be on the radio, for, for letting us be on the radio, and Columbus State University 
You can see the complete playlist on arthouseradio.com. That's A-R-T-H-A-U-S radio.com. Well, Natalia, I guess that's it. I guess we're out of time. Do you have anything you want to leave us with? You Any words of wisdom you want to impart? I think I'm going to circle back to your word of the day, Bo. Gratitude. Mm. I would love to challenge all of us to be grateful, not just for the moments that feel good, but even the moments that are tough and hard, because I think that's where we really get to go to that next level. So let's be grateful for all of it. Mm, that's great. Thanks. Sometimes it's hard to be grateful for the what we push up next to. Oh my gosh, yes. Or pushes up next to us. But how often do you look back from that mountaintop and say, God, all that stuff that was awful was actually really setting me up for this. Um, it challenges you, it informs you, and you don't forget it. Mm-hmm. So gratitude. Gratitude. For the good and the bad and the ugly for everything. Gratitude for everything. Mm, yeah, let's. I'll go with that. Let's do it. All right. Hope you'll get out and see some art today, wherever you are. If you're in Columbus or Charleston or in some big city somewhere or some, somewhere out in the Netherlands, wherever you are, go out and see some art. Then get in your studio and make some art. Because we have but one life. So let's live it, and let's make this world a better place. Thanks for listening today. See you right back here next week. Love and light, y'all. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, all right? I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you can swallow it, and it all dissolves.